Media relations is usually a duty that takes place on the ground. Unless you're Lieutenant Commander Griffin Stangle, number seven pilot for the U.S. Navy Blue Angels Flight Demonstration Squadron, and the designated media relations ambassador for every person who's invited to ride along in a Blue Angels fighter jet. You know, the jet rides are the first-hand experience. We can talk about it all day, but unless you're up here experiencing it, you won't truly know what these pilots are putting themselves through and all the work they're putting in. So what is it like to experience a flight in a Boeing F-A-18 Super Hornet? In the last episode, we set out to tell the story of the Blue Angels public affairs team, members of which are often tasked with doing their jobs from the back seat of these fighter jets. And it seemed to me like knowing the answer to that question was an important part of the storytelling process. So when we were offered the opportunity to become the first podcast to fly with the Blue Angels, well... Oh yeah, baby! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I think it suffices to say that I was pretty enthusiastic. I'm Dusty Weiss. From PodCamp Media, this is Lead Balloon, a podcast about compelling tales from the world of PR, marketing, and branding, told by the well-meaning communications professionals who live their lives in the danger zone. Thanks for tuning in. A couple of quick notes here. If this is your first time joining us on Lead Balloon, welcome. We tell stories of strategic communicators doing their jobs under the most intense, high-stakes professional circumstances most of them have ever faced in their careers. Because I think there's a lot that we can learn from those stories. Our catalog of episodes includes White House communicators, some of the Internet's most famous social media managers, marketing executives from companies like Coca-Cola and LinkedIn, so if you are a branding PR or marketing professional and you like hearing these stories from the people who lived them, make sure you subscribe to Lead Balloon in your favorite podcast app and go back and check out some of those past episodes as well. Also, podcasts are an audio medium, but flying in a Blue Angels fighter plane was a highly visual experience. I captured a ton of awesome video and I cut it together into a video mini doc. The link is in the episode description. It's also up at the PodCamp Media YouTube page or at podcampmedia.com slash leadballoon. This episode is part two in a two-part series. In part one, we embedded with the Blue Angels public affairs team at the Chicago Air and Water Show. We got up close and personal with the details of how they do their incredibly intense jobs and how they handle that pressure. We learned about how they're called upon to run photography missions in the fighter jets themselves and run the risk of literally blacking out on the job. I called it the most elite public affairs unit in the world, and I stand by that more than ever now. But the point is, if you missed that episode, go back and check it out, either after or before this one. The order doesn't matter. And you'll get a full appreciation of the history and mission of this iconic squadron, which, as we established, has at its core a branding, marketing, and public relations directive. I wanted to get a first-hand understanding of what it's like to try and work in an elite public affairs unit like that. And so, the Blue Angels team invited me to their home base in Pensacola to see if I had what it takes to do my job under those extremes. So I flew in on a Monday, and I was up at quarter to five on Tuesday morning, caffeinated and ready to rock. Well, as ready as I could be, anyway. Well, it's early, and I'm waiting at an undisclosed location for MC2 Cody Hendricks to come and escort me onto the naval base here. 
Didn't sleep great, but I've definitely slept worse. We've got briefing at 06.45 coming up in about a half hour. A few minutes later, Cody pulls into the parking lot. Good morning. Yeah, you want me to follow you? All right, let's do it. We make the short drive out to Naval Air Base, Pensacola. Turning right into Forest Sherman Field, home of the Blue Angels. And park outside a huge nondescript warehouse, behind which I can see the unmistakable blue tail of the Blue Angels C-130 transport plane sticking up like a shark fin. I haul my gear out of the rental, and we make our way through another level of security. Hydrated? Been hydrating like a marathon runner, man. I'm not kidding either. Over the last 24 hours, I have taken to heart every piece of advice the Blue Angels public affairs team has given me about preparing for the physical ordeal I'm about to endure. Two big, bland meals to stick to my ribs, no wine or booze with dinner, and as much rest as my keyed up brain would let me get. I have been waiting for this day my whole life, and I want to give it my all. No, it's cool though, I got butterflies. This is one of those things that like, wanted to do since I was like a seven-year-old kid, man. Yeah, it, it lives up to the hype, too. You'll see. It's, uh... <laughs> Cody walks me into the building and up a flight of stairs into the administrative offices of the Blue Angel Squadron, which are already bustling in spite of the fact that it's just past 6.30 in the morning. I get changed into my navy blue flight suit with gold lettering, and then I'm introduced to number seven crew chief Cam Tuzon and Comstack Dale Pascua who will be conducting my safety briefing and getting me strapped snugly into the plane. Their jobs are primarily centered on the aircraft, its care and maintenance. But as we learned in the last episode, every member of the Blue Angels team, even the wrench turners, are trained in public affairs best practices because every one of them is expected to support its public affairs mission when they interact with the civilian population. We start off with cockpit familiarization, where Cam shows me photos of the interior of the plane and makes it clear that mine is strictly the role of passenger and observer here. Is anything that is black and yellow you will not touch. <laughs> Got it. Don't touch, don't touch, and then above all, do not touch that. He points to a big black and yellow loop in the footwell, the handle to engage the emergency ejection seat. If you touch that, uh, the canopy goes up, you goes up, and seven ends up coming back in convertible. We don't want that. I gotta say, this is the first assignment I've ever been on in which the topic of ejecting from an aircraft is even a remote possibility. We call it the bonus right now. It's not gonna happen, but just in case if it does happen again. But in the ounce of prevention milieu, my briefing includes instructions on how to eject from the jet. So when he hits the eject, the sequence goes canopy, you, and then him. Like I said, you don't have to worry about anything. How to keep all my limbs attached. Since you're sitting on a rocket and the rocket's about to go up, we don't want any limbs hanging out. So right. that's the reason why we Anything do you want to keep. Yes. Tuck it away safe. Exactly. And, and even how to deploy and land a parachute. And when the chute deploys, you're gonna see these two red handles. You're gonna go grab those two red handles and then you're gonna pull down as hard as you can. I won't lie, all this talk about ejector seats is a little off-putting, but I know that realistically, my odds of having to put it into practice are incredibly slim. Rather, the hazard that I know I'm going to face today is that posed by the first and second laws of physics. When we shadowed the Blue Angels public affairs team in Chicago, we learned that the FAA 18 Super Hornet's quick, fierce maneuvering capabilities exert up to seven and a half times the force of gravity on pilots, photographers, and passengers when they fly. That amount of G-force will pull the blood away from your brain if you're not prepared for it, causing G-lock, gravity-induced loss of consciousness. 
and since unconsciousness would seriously impede my ability to document the conditions under which the Blue Angels public affairs team performs its duties. We have this technique called AGSM, which is anti-G-strain maneuver. What that does is it pretty much prevents the blood leaving our brain when we're pulling G's and uh, prevents us from G-locking, which if that does happen to you today, sir, don't be alarmed, don't be ashamed. Um, <laughs> don't be a little ashamed. You don't, you don't do this for a living. So AGSM is pretty much, you're in a squat. Flex your calves, you're gonna flex your thighs, hamstrings, your buttocks, and you're gonna imagine me punching you as hard as I can in the stomach. So you're gonna flex as hard as you can. As if locking up every muscle in the lower half of my body isn't enough, there's also a special breathing technique, which I'm expected to execute while my body weighs the equivalent of 1,200 pounds. You're gonna take a deep breath, quarter breath out, lock it down, and then every three seconds you're gonna take a quick exhale, inhale. And also the little k is to activate your little neck muscles of strain so no blood leaves, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. All right, so now we're gonna try to practice. Obviously you're not strapped in. Ready, right. hit it. And relax. Not bad. Okay. Well, you knocked that one out of the park. Okay, so I guess we don't have to go over that again, but we can, we can. Go, we can. We Even with that encouragement, I'll admit the butterflies in my stomach are flapping double time. But when Dale finally tells me it's time to walk out onto the tarmac, it's all I can do not to sprint out the door from excitement. We stride out between the double row of blue and gold fighter jets sparkling in the rising sun, and every step feels surreal. Our jet is distinguished by the big number seven painted in gold on its blue tail fin, and the cockpit canopy hinged open on its back. I climb up the fold-out ladder and start settling myself into the well-worn back seat in front of a formidable-looking instrument panel and Dale starts strapping me in with thick, heavy-duty canvas safety restraints. Thank you. These planes are a modern marvel to watch at air shows, but up close and personal, that's even somehow magnified. It's like snuggling up to a magnificent, complex piece of industrial art. Ankles, thighs, shoulders, chest, and then one beefy lap belt that I swear is as thick as a 100-page paperback. All are strapped in and tightened down okay. as the trainer jets in the next row begin warming up for their morning flight. This is an active airbase, after all. Finally, Cam springs up the ladder again and tucks two white plastic baggies into my leg harnesses. I briefly wonder how many times the metal and plastic interior of the jet has been hosed out with a pressure washer before Dale hands me a cloth beanie for my head over which he straps the heavy-duty, branded Blue Angels flight helmet and locks my mirrored visor in place. It's go time. Now we're talking. <laughs> and with me, the cargo, all strapped in, there's nothing left but to wait for the pilot to arrive from his briefing. I even have time for a quick FaceTime session with my wife and kids back in Wisconsin, much to the delight of the four- and two-year-olds. Hello. Daddy. Hey, buddy. Because <laughs> I'm flying. Thank you. I'm going to take lots of pictures and video to show to you guys, okay? Finally, in his bright blue flight suit and khaki garrison cap, Blue Angel Number 7, Lieutenant Commander Griffin Stangle from Madison, Wisconsin, strides out, completes his pre-flight walk around, climbs up the ladder to introduce himself. Good morning, sir. Dusty, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm Griffin. I'm good. <laughs> Griffin then slides into the front seat, and Dale helps him into his harnesses. We check our radios. All right, Dusty. Please keep your hands clear. Canopy's coming down. We'll get this thing fired up. And the clear plastic bubble hinges down over our heads and locks into place. Once we get this motor online, we'll get some air conditioning going. 
stay nice and cool there. All right, now we're going to test out the flight controls. Griffin works the controls, the flaps on the wings and tail swing wildly through their range of motion, and the plane rocks with the sudden movement. Directly off the nose of the plane, I see Dale and Cam signaling Griffin using their arms that everything's functioning as it should. Griffin guns the throttle and the plane pulls out onto the taxiway, while Dale, Cam, and the technicians actually applaud. As we discussed, part of the branding is that every flight of the Blue Angels planes is a celebration, even when it's just a ride along for some nerdy podcaster. And as we bump our way out to the runway, Griffin and I get to know one another between bursts of air traffic control radio chatter. So Lieutenant Commander Griffin, uh, gotta ask you before we do this here, what is an appropriate level of enthusiasm for a backseat rider to demonstrate? Hey, as much as you want, man. I, uh, I would say, uh, I mean, if you're excited, don't hide it. I can always turn you down if you start yelling in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and I might get loud. That's all right, I'll give you a roller coaster ride. Oh, love it. I heard you knocked out an MMA fighter in Hawaii. That is true, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm thankful uh, we didn't step in the octagon afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever he got, give me just short of that. All right. Just short of Griffin that. positions the plane at the end of the taxiway behind a line of other air traffic all queued up for takeoff. But with a word from air traffic control... All the other planes move off to the side making way for us. Busy out here this morning. Blue Angels take precedence at Air Station Pensacola. All right, brother, you ready to go? Absolutely. We turn out onto the runway. First like Max Afterburner. It's like I've been thumped in the back by a giant hammer. There's the light off. The unreal acceleration pushes my helmet back into the seat. There's 50 knots. And within seconds, we're airborne. We're rotated 125. There she is. Oh, yeah. Griffin keeps up a dialogue with air traffic control while the plane banks to the right turning south and flying out over the bay between the mainland and Pensacola Beach. It's immediately apparent how much different this plane is from anything else I've ever flown in. The way it moves through the air is effortless. There's no strain. The power from those two jet engines is smooth and more than capable of doing whatever Griffin asks the plane to do. By comparison, the commercial airliner I flew on to get here feels like a city bus with wings duct taped on. We coast easily up to 3,000 feet out over the inlet to the bay, and then air traffic control chimes in with our clearance up to 14,000 feet. Blue Angel 7, climb maintain 1, 4,000. Most planes will make that ascent over the course of five minutes or so, but the Super Hornet does it in 20 seconds flat. All right, up we go. Here we go. Oh, yeah, baby! <laughs> yeah. With no warning, my reaction surprises even me. I am squished back into my seat like it's a rocket launch. My head and arms double and triple in weight, my stomach lurches, and the water below falls away like a set piece. In that moment, every roller coaster in the world is ruined forever. And I cannot contain the giddy surprise that spills out of my mouth. Oh, sorry about that. Hey, it's all good. Hey, we're going to do a little zero-G pushover coming up here, all right? Yes, sir. All right, and here we go. Ascending at upwards of 500 feet per second, Griffin eases us out of that climb into a shallow dive, and suddenly, I'm floating in my restraints. I say floating, but really, zero gravity feels like falling. It's a trick of physics, of course, because relative to my previous momentum straight up, we are basically in free fall. 
my brain struggles to mediate between what my eyes are seeing and what my inner ear is feeling, and I realize I'm grinning like an idiot as I sink back into my seat after seven or eight seconds of weightlessness. Still feeling all right back there? Oh man, I would fly a commercial a lot more if it was like this. <laughs> the coastline disappears behind us at 500 miles an hour, and it's time to get to know Griffin in his role as a media relations practitioner and pilot. It's time to see what this Boeing F-A-18 Super Hornet can really do, and it's time to see if I've got what it takes to handle the punishing experience of naval aviation public affairs. And that is all coming up in a minute here on Let Balloon. This is Lead Balloon, and I'm Dusty Weiss. In the world of media relations in general, there's nothing more demanding, more stressful than the interview. It's the culmination of all the media outreach, the research, the coordination, the preparation. Everything is inherently on the record. The cameras are running, and there are no do-overs. It's the moment of truth in media relations, and the stakes are always high. I've conducted thousands of media interviews in my career, both as the interviewer and the interviewee. I've talked to presidents, Hall of Fame athletes, billion dollar executives, but none of them, not a one, was operating a $50 million state-of-the-art piece of complicated avionics technology in which I was riding while we talked. So, you're number seven. Yep. You have the job of being both the face and the voice of the Blue Angel Squadron. And I gotta say, from where I'm sitting, That's pretty much Webster's textbook definition of best of both worlds. (laughs) So, how'd you go about getting a job like that? Well, there's actually a lot that goes on behind the scenes, you know, when I step out. Lieutenant Commander Griffin Stangle, number seven pilot for the U.S. Navy Blue Angels Flight Demonstration Squadron, serves as the on-microphone narrator at Blue Angels air shows, as well as the pilot and host for media relations ride-alongs. Ride-alongs like the one that we're doing right now. 14,000 feet above the hazy blue waters of the Gulf of Mexico, cruising at somewhere between 450 and 575 miles per hour. Yeah, of the the face that they see, of the voice that they hear, but there's a ground team behind all that that makes sure we are safe and effective. We got the aircraft we need, and I'm honored to be a part of that. Uh, I can't see his face while we speak. He's in the front seat and I'm in the back, but I can see the top of his yellow flight helmet over the instrument panel in front of me. And what he's doing, fielding my questions, hitting his talking points, while at the same time flying an F-A-18 Super Hornet and coordinating with air traffic control, whom you'll hear periodically over the radio, it's the most extreme example of media relations I've ever witnessed. And in a minute, this situation is going to get even more intense for both of us as he pushes this aircraft and our bodies to the limits of their capabilities. It is, without a doubt, the most extraordinary interview of my career. Got to follow you guys around at Chicago a little bit and watch you do your thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. And I just got to ask you, as one guy that's made a life behind a microphone to another guy, are you a big talker who became an aviator, or are you an aviator who became a big talker? Aviator who became a big talker. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, through flight training, you get the opportunity to, uh, you know, practice your public speaking. You give briefs. Talk about flight conduct. You get to lead deep Congo, one, two, clear track JD. Honestly, this is a whole other level. Well, seriously, I mean, nobody else in the world does what you do under the conditions that you do it under. Yeah. I mean, what's going through your head when you look around and you say, oh, I- this is my office, this is my studio? 
Honestly, I'm more of the mindset of uh, trying to fix what I screwed up last time. So, <laughs> any little, you know, whether it's speaking on the bike or flying. Full departure, Jedi 10, passing 1000. Really just trying to improve based on yesterday's performance kind of thing. You wind up doing a lot of media relations as part of your job. Obviously, you're doing it right now. In the world of media relations, I've always told people, you know, you can send out a press release. You can write up a blog post, but the best media relations, I like to think, is an experience. What's lost in the media relations process if you're not able to give a media representative this first-person experience? You know, the jet rides, we could talk about it all day, but unless you're up here experiencing it, you won't truly know what these pilots are putting themselves through through the, the flight demo and all that, uh, all the work they're putting in. Yeah, I'm getting a sense for that. I really am. That awkward chuckle is because I know what's coming next. He told me what he's going to show me. Now, he's going to show me. We're going to be uh, getting ready to pull some G's here, friends. So, we're going to descend down just a little bit. Get to about 10,000 feet. Then we're going to see how our bodies are feeling, all right? So, we're going to do a little bit of a G warm-up. Griffin puts the plane into a gradual dive, using gravity to pile on the speed that's going to create the inertia that will punish our bodies. I flex my muscles, push my feet against the floor, and breathe how Cam and Dale instructed me. All right, so we're coming to the right for three Gs. Ready, hit it. The plane rolls hard, and I see sky to my left and ocean to my right. Our nose tracks along the horizon. There's two, two and a half. There's three right there. And my body's momentum tries to pull me and my blood through the floor of the plane. All right, we're coming back to left for four now. The plane makes a snap roll 180 degrees, so the ocean is now to my left, and we pull up even right. harder. Squeeze the legs. I am straining every muscle in the lower half of my body, which literally feels like it weighs close to 700 There's pounds. Abs. There's four right there. Squeeze the legs, push out with the abs, and we're rolling out. All right, we'll catch our breath here for a second. Oh, man. You ready to bump it up to six? Give me one second. All right. I take a moment to resituate and catch my breath, and All I realize right. I am sweating profusely. Just a little bit of a workout. Oh, yeah. When you are ready, sir. All right, we're coming to the right for six Gs. This will be squeeze the legs, full G straight. Ready, hit it. This time, the roll to the right is almost violent. There's five and a half. And the plane shakes as it's buffeted by the air. There's six. The Gs don't come on gradually. It feels like I'm being hit by a thousand pounds of sandbags all at once. In an instant, colors drain away and darkness creeps into my peripheral vision. This is what they call graying out, which means that I'm close to losing consciousness, but I strain through that turn. Roll it out. Alright, brother, how you feeling? Started graying out a little bit, but, uh, oh man, that was a lot. Alright. I got real heavy there. How are you? Do you get gray during that, or are you just like cool as a cucumber? Yeah, the body gets used to the G after so many flights. Uh-huh. Uh, so we're, we're pretty accustomed to pulling these Gs all the time. Oh, man. Yeah. But the next thing I want to show you is a split S, all right? All right. What so am I getting ready for here? About four Gs. We're going to roll inverted and then pull for the back half of the loop. You ready to go? Oh, hell yes. All right. Here we go. Ready. Hit it. This time the plane rolls all the way over. Oh, yeah. And I'm hanging upside down from my seat restraints. Griffin pulls up hard, which, since we're upside down, actually points the nose of the plane toward the ground and puts us into a steep dive. Condensation billows up over the wings of the plane as the aerodynamic pressure forms little clouds. This is incredible! 
as we finish the half loop and grind back into level flight against our 4G's of momentum. The alarm sound is likely some kind of stall warning, basically an automated reminder to the pilot that they're doing something crazy, which, well, duh. Between fits of giddy yelling, I'm literally panting for breath, my head is spinning, and my normally rock-solid stomach is trying to recombobulate its cardinal directions. Well, you know, you can talk about that non-stop. You can get briefed, you can be told what to expect. But until then, you do it. Then when it hits you, that is not even what I expected. <laughs> all right, well, next thing I'm gonna show you. We're gonna slow it down just a little bit. Nice, easy roll, all right? So all we're gonna do, be about two to three Gs at most. We're setting up for the Delta roll. And up we go. We swoop down out of the sky toward the water and then begin a gradual climb. There's 22 degrees nose high. Little push, little roll. Imagine a giant invisible cardboard paper towel tube. The delta roll takes us gradually around the inside of that tube with our feet facing out as we drift upside down through a complete 360 degree roll. As we're upside down here, just imagine there's five other aircraft flying formation off those gold wingtips right now. It's not scary or violent like the high G turns. This is just majestic. And that's what these guys are doing day in and day out. All right, next thing I want to show you is the half cubinate, okay? We're going to go up basically the first half of the loop. Right. And then once we are uh, upside down, pointing the other direction, we're just going to roll upright. This is what the diamond does on takeoff, all right? All right. And, uh... More G-forces tug at my body. More clouds form rushing over our blue wings. There's pure vertical. And we're pulling pure over the vertical. top. We're flying straight up into the sky, and for the F-A-18, it's effortless. Oh and if you God. look straight up, you can see our smoke trail where we just came from. And all four diamond jets will do this right on takeoff in diamond formation. All right, we're going to speed things up a little bit, okay? Oh, God, okay. <laughs> this is going to be a low-G maneuver, but we're going to roll the aircraft as quick as it'll roll, okay? All right. All right, we're doing two other rolls to the left. Ready, hit it. The world rotates around us like we're a pig on a spit. There's one. In four seconds flat, we rotate twice. And two. <laughs> no roller coaster can compare oh, with this. <laughs> I hope I'm not too annoying back here. Nah, this man. Incredible life, man. Hey, I feed off the enthusiasm and energy, trust me. Oh, God. All right, next thing I'm going to do, we're just going to do some zero-G flying, all right? Like the astronauts do for their space training. All right. And we're just going to push over for zero-Gs, okay? All right. Free fall, again. There's half a G, and there's zero. Floating in the seat right now, Incredible. totally weightless. Oh I look God. at my arms in disbelief as they float in the air. It's like a crazy dream. It doesn't seem real. And we're coming back there. It occurs to my oxygen-starved brain that this is my chance to prove that I'm capable of doing my job under the same adrenaline-soaked conditions as the Blue Angels public affairs team. So, they told me that uh, all the pilots have a call sign. Yeah! And it's a call sign that they earned, and that yours is push-pop. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, I'll tell you the long story, but the short version is I'm an ice cream eating champion. Okay. <laughs> it was on a carrier. My stomach might have gotten a little upset afterwards. So it does happen to you? Well, <laughs> when somebody challenges you to an ice cream eating contest, I'm not one to back down, you know? <laughs> but to push myself a little bit harder than I thought I uh, thought I was capable of, you know? But you won. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Not, That's not, all that matters. I'm not a quitter. <laughs> all right. 
We're gonna flip upside down, right? Yes, sir. Just fly inverted for a little bit. Griffin demonstrates some more of the Super Hornet's low speed handling capabilities. I get my camera out. I'm starting to feel like I've got my sea legs a little bit, and I need to make sure that I've got some cutaway B-roll to show for the trip after all. But I keep a tight grip, remembering a stern warning from Dale about how much damage a loose camera can do banging off the instruments and canopy. And even though we're only going 120 knots, we can still select Max Afterburner, we feel those light off. <laughs> and we can still just climb away like a rocket ship like it's nothing, you know? What other aircraft have you flown besides the F-A-18? To be honest, not a whole lot. The uh, the trainers, the T-45s, which uh, are parked right next to our jets there on the line. And then I've also flown the T-6, which is also flown in Pensacola there. So uh, besides that, had a little bit of civilian experience flying like single engine Cessnas, that kind of stuff. But that's pretty much it, you know? So obviously nothing else that stacks up to this. No, I remember the, the first time I took off in an F-18 and no kidding, lit the afterburners for the first time, but it's a pretty wild sensation. Are you gonna be spoiled for the rest of your life? You know, there's that distinct possibility, but uh, you know, that just kind of reminds me to take every day, give it 100% and not take anything for granted because you never know when, uh, you know, life changes and next thing you know, you already had your last F-18 flight and uh, I don't know what that day is gonna be, but I'm gonna take advantage of every day I can leading up to it. Yeah, this is uh, this is a gift, man. This is a top five life experience right here. And, and I know you don't take it for granted, and that's awesome. Before I black out or puke back here, <laughs> I just want to make sure I thank you from the bottom of my heart for making this possible, because this is, this is special. Well, I'm glad you're having fun. And, but the next one I want to show you is the uh, minimum radius turn, all right? And all it is, it's a high G maneuver, all right? So, as we do the 360 across the horizon, so we'll roll the aircraft 90 degrees angle bank to the left and basically just pull level. That first 90 degrees of turn, about seven Gs, okay? So it'll be a full G strain. And then as we continue the turn, we're gonna keep going at about five Gs as we back it off just a little bit. But even though we're backing off from seven to five, you gotta keep that full G strain going, all right? I start my breathing, trying to get as much oxygen to my brain as possible and put my head back against the seat. I know what's coming this time, and I know it's gonna hurt. You ready to go? Yeah. All right, coming left for the mid radius turn. Ready, hit it. 1,200 pounds of crushing pressure hits me all at once. Immediately I gray out, and I'm seeing the world from the bottom of a long, dark tunnel. I'm still fighting for consciousness and flexing my legs, but even my limbs feel miles away. I hear Griffin taking his own G-strain breaths, but to me, everything's echoing. Even the skin on my face is being dragged down to the floor of the plane, but slowly, finally, the pressure eases. Colors run back into my vision and the plane levels off with the horizon. Yeah! Yeah, baby! Nice work. How you feeling? Woo! Almost lost it there. Oh. Real, real nice work. We had seven Gs on that one. Did you lose a little vision on it? Yeah, no, I definitely grayed out. And then, uh... Oh, you gave me a break at just the right time there because I was taking a nap. <laughs> well, I heard you working back there, so I don't, I'm pretty sure you didn't go all the way out. Nope. But uh, really, no, really there. nice work. The oh. full consequences of what oh. my body just experienced catch up to me all at once. I am soaked in sweat. I cannot catch my breath. And a wave of nausea wells up to remind me just how close I came to blacking out. The laws of physics are rules, not suggestions. They cannot be broken 
and they don't appreciate being defied, they will make you pay for hubris. I swallow a belch and try to power through. So you wind up taking a lot of media people out. Yeah, usually, you know, I do at least one media ride every air show we go to. How do people typically react? You know, you get the full, hey, I just want to go fly around, maybe do one loop. And then you get the people who are like, I want more G's. And I'm like, I can't, the jet won't give you anymore. That's all I got, you know what I mean? There's some people who have gotten uh, pretty stick right off the bat. And they just want to turn around and come home. And, dude, I totally get it. Do you get a good sense when you meet somebody how they're going to do up there? Can you look at them and be like, oh, yeah, no, he's going to black out or, or she's going to be a champ? Not really, actually, because, I mean, it's all based on, you know, physical conditioning, hydration, and, you know, to be honest, like sleep. Uh, so if you're rested, hydrated, and in decent shape, you're probably going to do pretty well. And that's why we kind of do a little bit of a warm-up. We don't go right off the bat with seven and a half Gs. We save that for the end of the flight. I have no idea how Griffin is still so chipper. I feel like I've been hit by a truck. I was feeling great for the first 45 minutes of this experience, but that 7G minimum radius turn flipped a switch for me, and now I am struggling just to have a conversation. As professional communicators, it's our job to use our words to describe things to other people and to make them understand. And as I'm sitting here right now looking around me, we're flying through the clouds, yeah. the sun filtering down, ocean below us. I'm going to get home eventually. I'm going to have to sit down and pound out my feelings about this onto a keyboard and then recite that back into a microphone. I need some help. Yeah. <laughs> I need some help. Um, how do you put to words this experience for the folks back home? Honestly, it's a blessing. And it's a culmination of a lot of hard work from a lot of different people. But, you know, it's it's amazing what a phenomenal team can do when everybody's firing on all cylinders and you're striving towards a common goal. It's, it's a privilege to be working with such incredible people who are so dedicated to giving uh, their all every day. And uh, being able to stay a part of the Blue Angel team is just a true blessing. Yeah. Yeah, I feel bad. Privilege and a blessing. Lieutenant Commander Griffin Stangle nails it there. Even though I'm now feeling exhausted and quite ill, still panting from exertion, I can't help but look around in awe. We float surreally with the clouds and just as effortlessly as they do. And I realize I'm living a dream, both figuratively and literally. Figuratively, because there was a time in my life when I aspired to be a fighter pilot, though ultimately the pull of a career as a professional storyteller won out. But literally, because when you have that dream, the dream where you can fly, this is what it's like. You just stretch your arms out and will it to happen, and it's effortless. It's peaceful. In that dream, you belong in the sky. The FA-18 Super Hornet is a machine that belongs in the sky. Where a commercial liner strains against gravity, the Super Hornet defies it. I fully understand now that the people who operate these planes are, on, on top of everything else, phenomenal athletes, tough, disciplined, insatiable. And through their intense training, they also become creatures of the sky. Up there, surfing among the clouds, this machine and its pilot were undeniably in their element. And for 60 precious minutes, 
because of this rare invitation to join them, I belonged there too. It was like coming home. It made a liar of me for every other time I've used the word transcendent in my life. Because this was transcendence. This was the definition of flight. What do you remember about your first flight? Felt like I was behind. <laughs> yeah. Like, just, you know, you do so many sims, and you mentally prepare for what you're about to go do, but all the, you know, the sensations of flying the aircraft with so much power, and just being able to maneuver so quickly, it's, it's different. And it's uh, an experience unlike anything else, you know. That it is. We begin a leisurely flight back to the coast, and Griffin tells me that there's one last maneuver that he wants to show me, the carrier brake. Basically, it's a sideways skid through the air designed to slow the jet from its cruising speed of 400 knots to its landing speed of 130 knots as it comes in to land on an aircraft carrier at sea. We'll be landing at the airfield, though, so he has to ask the tower for permission. Sherman Tower, Blue Angel 7, 15 miles to the west, VFR for the initial... Request the carrier. Angel 7, German Tower. Support the numbers are with 7 left. Carrier break and early descent within 5 are approved. Carrier break and uh, descent within 5 is approved for 7 left. Blue Angel 7. I do everything I can to steal my frazzled nerves and flip-flopping stomach for one more high-G maneuver. Except this time, instead of an ocean more than 10,000 feet below us, I'm looking straight down at the busy runway just 1,000 feet below. Blue Angel 7, breaking. 7, under. Coming left, here we go. We wheel around just a few hundred feet above the trees, swamps, and suburban homes west of Pensacola. There's four G's. And line up for our landing. Rolling out. Nice work. Oh my god. Cylinder 7, change to runway 7 right, check wheels down, runway 7 right, 1030 at 9 are clear to land. Clear to land 7 right, I got 3 down and lock from Cylinder 7. And we'll be on deck here very shortly. No big deal, pulled seven G's today. Easy peasy. What about 500 knots at one point? No big deal. Pretty sure I just put on five years. Hey. Five years of living right there, oh my God. Hey, Navy will give you a couple gray hairs, but huh. I'll tell you, that's the biggest lie that Maverick movie. Tom Cruise has been in the Navy 30 years, doesn't have a gray hair on his head. <laughs> and it'll be a little bump here as we touch down. Just like that, we're back on solid ground. We taxi back to that line of Blue Angels fighter jets. Gail guides us into park. Griffin pops the cockpit canopy, and I breathe in that warm Florida air. Even though I am exhausted and still a little ill, I am already sad that this experience is over. Griffin slides out of his seat and shakes my hand. Hey, woo! Awesome job. Gale gets me unhooked from the restraints, and I climb down on shaky legs to the tarmac. There, I'm reunited with MC1 Cody Decio, whom we met when we embedded with the Blue Angels at the Chicago Air and Water Show. And he leads me back to the office complex, where I flop down on the couch and nurse myself back into shape with several cold glasses of water. As I'm recovering, I'm visited by MCC Michael Christopher Russell, one of the Blue Angels' public affairs chiefs who coordinates the public affairs team. And he reminds me just how rare the air is that I've been breathing today. You know, we've had country bands since I've been here. We've had um, a variety of different uh, officials, military, 
uh, reps. We've had social media influencers. It's a great way for their fans who may not normally watch anything to do with the Navy to get a peek into what a F-18 is, you know. Um. But then you get them in the back seat of that thing and really put them through their paces. I mean, that's just the kind of thing that has to be experienced to be believed almost. Yes, sir. I feel like it, it was It was certainly, I'd even go so far as to say life-changing for me today. I don't think that that is any kind of an exaggeration. What do people take away from an experience like that? I remember the first time, I know this is a personal story, but I remember the first time I flew on an airplane, um, how when I was up above the world looking down, how small it made my problems feel to see how vast it is. and. You know, an F-18 is so different than a commercial airliner, but I think that it's such an exhilarating experience that, uh, you know, the people that are fortunate enough to go in the back seat, they're going to share that with their family and their friends. And um, it is definitely, like you said, it's going to touch them to where they're, they're never going to forget it. And it's definitely a, a unique thing that not very many people get to do. Yeah, certainly. Last question then, I guess, because I know that you've got a bounce here. What do you absolutely love about your job? Well, most people on the team, you know, they're constantly um, – working on the maintenance of the jets. My favorite part of my job is that we get to tell the story of the people behind the scenes. It's it's not always just about the pilot of one of those jets. The people that are uh, turning the wrenches underneath that jet are just as uh, important as the chain of command. My favorite part about being on the Blue Angels in the public affairs office is that uh, we get to put that spotlight, move it around to the whole team. And so I just enjoy being able to highlight the hard work of the sailors and marines on this team. And let's not forget the people that tell the stories of the people <laughs> that support the squadron, too. They're yes, sir. part of that process, too. That's true. That I think gets overlooked a whole lot. Yes, sir. And that's why we wanted to do this podcast. So awesome. I thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart for having me for this experience. It's uh, just been a great day, a great couple of days I actually spent with you guys. And uh, I look forward to telling the story of the storytellers, I guess, as it were, for this one. Well, it's nice having you here, and we're glad to be here. Thank you, Chief Russell. All right, sir. Appreciate thank you. Thank you. Tell the story of the world's most elite flight demonstration squadron, the Blue Angels public affairs team has to be elite in their own right. A small team with a big mission. These men and women work grueling hours and handle innumerable duties, from on-site photography and social media, to print publications and even hand calligraphy on commemorative posters. The list of other duties as assigned seems unlimited for this team. But they're also called upon to endure the same brutal in-flight working conditions that the pilots themselves endure. Tip-top physical conditioning and the ability to maintain mental acuity and discipline under exhausting circumstances. It all adds up to a public relations and marketing operation that most of us in this field would be hard-pressed to handle. I'll admit, I barely hung on to any semblance of composure and I sure wasn't doing my finest professional work in that jet. So what did we learn? that an experience is the most powerful media relations practice. That, in strategic communications, perfect execution may be impossible, but with discipline and practice, excellence is attainable, even under the most intense circumstances. And of course, that extremes forge unbreakable, unflappable communicators, and that those life experiences are of incalculable value. Having had this firsthand experience, I have a new respect for the elite level at which these men and women perform and a new appreciation for the power that strategic communications has to change lives. And I hope you do too. Thank yous. Okay, I have so many of them. From the Blue Angels team, MCC Paul Archer coordinated, curated, answered dumb questions and made sure that I got the full Blue Angels experience. 
an all-around cool dude and so much fun to work with. Lieutenant Commander Griffin Stangle, Blue Angels number 7 pilot and narrator, my host for the ride-along experience, and just one of the nicest, most fun human beings I've had the pleasure of meeting in a while, and a great ambassador for aviation. He's going to be moving into the regular Blue Angels lineup for the 2023 season ahead, so if you go to a show next year, you will get to see him in action. Lieutenant Chelsea Dietlin, public affairs officer and leader of that team, who tolerated my badgering and gave us the green light to tell the story of the Blue Angels storytellers. AD2 Cam Tuzon, number seven crew chief, and AE2 Dale Pascua, who drilled me on G-strain exercises, prepped me for the flight, and made sure I survived it. Appreciate that part. MCC Michael Russell, MC2 Cody Hendricks, MC1 Cody DCO, and MC1 Bobby Baldock, members of the public affairs team whom we followed, taped, and bothered with questions in Chicago. You welcomed us into the Blue Angels family, and we are so grateful for your trust and your candor. Thank you to everyone from the Blue Angels team for this incredible experience. Big thanks as well to Jim Schleter, Paul Guzzi, and Dave Oates for helping put me in touch with the right people to get this idea off the ground. And tons of love to Ty Christian and Brian Koenig of the Midwest-based metal act Lords of the Trident, who performed the Danger Zone cover song for this episode. They did such a good job that I'm going to play the song in its entirety after the credits roll here. Bruckheimer went to the well three times with Danger Zone in the Top Gun movie, so I figure you won't mind hearing it one more time. Lords of the Trident are touring this fall. They put on an awesome live show, lordsofthetrident.com, for more information on that. Additional music by The Revolution, Tiger Gang, and Dr. Delight. The Lead Balloon Podcast is produced by PodCamp Media, where we provide branded podcast production services for businesses, Our podcast studios are located in the heart of beautiful downtown Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but we work with clients all over North America, podcampmedia.com. Find PodCamp Media on social too. A video version of this whole saga is up on our YouTube page if you want to see how I got thrown around in the cockpit of that F-18. The link is in the episode description, and why don't you sign up for our e-newsletter while you're in there? I've got to say, as season finales go, I don't know if we'll ever top this one, but we have a whole back catalog of intense tales from the world of PR and marketing. Subscribe to Lead Balloon in your favorite podcast app and check those out. We'll be back with new episodes in 2023, probably a few bonus clips before then. And if you've got a PR and marketing story that we should be telling on this show, please reach out. But till the next time, folks, thanks for listening and thanks for coming on this adventure. I am Dusty Weiss.